Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up, and welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today, I am here with UFC coach John Hackleman、uh, from the pit, and also with author and historian Danielle Bolelli. I figured today's topic, as you saw in the intro, is what impact, if any, did Bruce Lee have on modern MMA?、Um, I figured who best to have on the show than UFC coach John Hackleman and Danielle Bolelli, who was also in the documentary I Am Bruce Lee.、Um, John, as I was saying off camera, all this started because of you. <laughs> well, not Bruce Lee. Of course, Bruce Lee has got his own legacy, but <laughs> you mentioned. On Facebook, how Bruce Lee had this impact on modern MMA. And what I thought would just be a threat of a lot of fanboys talking about how great Bruce Lee is turned out to be this huge debate of people arguing on whether or not this、yeah. was true and people getting pissed off. You want to talk a little bit about that, real quick? Well, well it, comes up Kaji, it, calls, it comes up with Kaji Kempo, too, by the way. Um, um, but I, I guarantee you this. And I've talked to a lot of them. I guarantee you, 90, I'll give you a 90, high 90% of UFC fighters agree with me. Because the, the non fighters, the keyboard guys, right, then, then they want to say, you got to be a, this to do this. You got to be a great coach fighting. You have to have, be a fighter to be a great coach. Of course you don't. You have to have fought to be a great coach. Whatever Bruce martial artist. Of course you don't. Bruce Lee had, Bruce Lee had,、uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even know we were going to do this, but I have this on my desk.、Um, Bruce Lee has stuff in there from the late 60s, early 70s that no martial artist was thinking about. You know, left hooks, double leg takedowns, single leg takedowns. He even does single leg takedowns. Arm bars, you know, leg locks, chokes, et cetera. And then, you know, left hooks, right hooks, boxing training, kickboxing. And then he talks about weightlifting, which was a no no back then for martial artists. And、um, instead of, you know, our workout for 20 years or so, you know, while I was fighting pro, was go to Kapilani Park and we run on the park. And that was our workout. And then we go to the gym, we do our sparring, bag work, speed bag, jump rope. But our main cardio workout, strength and fitness, right,、um, was running, jogging. You read Bruce Lee, he's talking about high intensity in- interval training, like Tabatas and stuff.、Um, that didn't come out to like CrossFit. You know, even, even in the old days, it was aerobic. You know, everybody wanted aerobic work. But then CrossFit brought in, then we started doing sprints, high intensity stuff. And Bruce Lee was already talking about that. He was talking about that in the late 60s. No martial arts school was doing that. No, no martial artist was training like that. So, yeah, he never fought in an MMA fight, right? I don't know if he could have fought or not. Doesn't matter. You don't have to be a great, you don't have to be a fighter to be a great mind. He was a great mind when it came to martial arts. He was, one of the, he was one of the pioneers 
of modern day martial arts, not limited to, including, but not limited to MMA. So that's what I think. And then this really goes with one of the questions I was going to ask about how did Bruce Lee impact modern MMA specifically? And you gave some great examples in the hit training. Um, back in the day, it was just pretty much running, right? Really similar to boxing. Boxers, boxers, when martial artists started getting into kickboxing and everything else, they did very similar to an old school boxing program, just a lot of running and then the separate training. Yeah. But kind of going back to uh, the history, Daniele, how was Bruce Lee's impact? Like, how was his influence as a martial artist different from other martial artists in the past? I mean, the big thing with him was this idea of uh, giving up on styles, which was complete, you know, it was super radical back then. Because you know, if you were a judo guy, you were a judo guy. If you were a karate guy, you were a karate guy. Now, there would be the really wild person who would study both. But the idea is you're studying a system, you're studying another system, and you personally may happen to mix things up, but you're studying separate system. Lee always argued that systems are bullshit in the sense that his thing was if I you, you're not going to find all the answers underneath one heading. Uh, and that's ultimately what MMA proved. He, he proved his theories right. Because when everybody initially started with MMA with the idea of, let's see which style comes up on top. And, you know, clearly some styles did better than others. But at the end of the day, no style was it. You know, even jujitsu, which at beginning was making a killing because there were people who didn't know ground fighting. Of course, you slaughter them if you have jujitsu. Eventually, once good wrestlers started learning how to defend submission, that had to change. And so it wasn't just you're going to be a jujitsu guy, you need to have wrestling. Oh, but wait, now you need to have stand up. Now you need to, which was exactly what Bruce Lee always argues. Like what styles give you are tools and they are great, but ultimately you need to mix them together in a cohesive whole. And that's now, I'm not saying. Of course, Bruce Lee wasn't the first guy ever who argued cross-training is a good idea. There have been martial artists before him, definitely after him, but also before him, who argue for cross-training. But he did it in a more vocal way. You know, he, because of the platform he created for himself, he was able to argue theories that may were not that mainstream at all. He was able to bring them to the forefront. He was able to do it in a way that captured the public attention in a way that hardly anybody did before. Uh, so while there were people who came up with similar ideas prior to him, uh, nobody at that level of uh, didn't have the public attention kind of grab the way he did and could uh, challenge those ideas in the way he did. So I feel that that's such a huge thing that it's, uh, that's like the base, the philosophical basis of MMA is right there in Bruce Lee's writing. And when you go back to prior to the 1990s, that was not a common concept at all. You know, people were very dogmatically devoted to a style. And, you know, some people, there were exceptions, but that was not the norm. And, and I, so I think that's, there's a direct thread. And then if we talk about techniques, well, of course, you can look at um, more specifically, if you look at John Jones, that's the ultimate uh, uh, Bruce Lee thing, right? Eye pokes and oblique kicks, that's the game. <laughs> that was uh, that was what Bruce did all the time. But um, yeah, man, I think philosophically, there's nothing, like the connection is so obvious between Bruce Lee's arguments and what MMA becomes. Now, Bruce Lee never argued that it should be a sport, he thought it in terms of self-defense, not in terms of sport. 
but you know that's like a really easy transition to make which is what ultimately mma made and i really like what uh what john has to say about well john you mentioned this in the last podcast the how you see MMA fighting compared to self-defense and how they work together. What, what are your philosophies on that self-defense and MMA training? What's the difference between the two? Well, I think since I do, I train both people, right? Um, like mentally preparing for a fight um, is, is, is very similar. Um, physically preparing to a fight is, is identical identical some of the techniques don't cross over but that's very few eye poking one of them you know it's even though you know it is illegal it's it's been proven effective in mma but it's illegal so we don't train that but in this in my in my in my hawaiian kempo class we do we teach you know eye pokes eye gouging you know we even go to biting you know so we we teach that and then we take that out i take that out when I'm training my MMA fighters, obviously, you're not going to see Glover biting Jan in October uh, for the title. I, I hope but, not. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it does prove to work. So it's, it's a proving ground. You know, it's a proving ground. So the techniques are almost identical. A couple of them don't cross over, but very few. The training in, it, in itself is, is the same, right? even though we have different uh, levels, since my fighters want to fight, they do certain things in their training uh, that my Hawaiian Kempo guys don't. I'm my orthopedic surgeon, my neonatologist and my lawyers and my, they don't want to do that exact same kind of training, but I make it pretty much the same. And then the only difference, the only difference between MMA and, and the street which is includes a couple of the, the uh, of the actual techniques is the end goal, but how to get there? You want to do it the same way, right? You want to do it the same way until you get there. Then it turns into you know a completely different fight, and the goal because the goal is different in MMA. The goal is to win the bonus, to win the title, to win more money, to get your legacy, to win the street. It's to go home. That's the only goal. That's the only goal in the street to go home, you know, as safe as you can, but basically to go home. So everything is so similar with MMA and, and street, you know, techniques. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, you know, so I, the training them both is like a, you know, transition. The transition is so easy. Like Chuck started off with my Hawaiian Kempo. Next thing you know, he's the UFC champion, right? Glover, started off in MMA. Now he's a black belt in, in Hawaiian Kempo, you know, and he teaches that and he's, you know, so it's a really easy transition, but uh, like Danielle said, um, you know, it's, it, it, it was, you know, I agree a lot of what he said. It, there is no system, but it's a system without, without being a, without a real system. It's like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the basic of it. Like it started off like my first no holds barred fight was in 1976. I was 16 and it was, they called it the world series of martial arts. And they just said, you know, boxing against wrestling and judo against this. And you just go in and you just, you do whatever. You didn't have to stick to whatever you said, 
you know, but it was, it was broken up. Then when the UFC started, it was the exact same thing. The boxer, the kickboxer, this, and, and like you said, so well, um, it started off, or I don't know if it was Danielle said it, it started off with jujitsu was everything. It was the end all. Then all of a sudden the wrestlers came and said, no, 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 bang, you're on your head. And then they learned how to defend like three, three submissions. Next, you know, they're, they're, you know, you got Mark Coleman with the ground and pound. Now they're, they're getting knocked out. Oh, then the wrestlers taking down all this, uh, the kickboxers. Then they start learning a couple of sprawls. Now they're getting kicked in the head. Oh, we've got to rethink that one. So then they start learning this and that. Now it's this. It's, there is no, there is no better style. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's who's the better martial artist. And, and like, like Danielle said, uh, is it Danielle, right? Yeah. I mean, technically Danielle, but I don't care. It's like, it's whatever I go by. But like John Jones, like, uh, I'm not a fan of the oblique kick. I think it's, I, I don't think it's effective at all, but um, for the most part, but the eye poke is, and John Jones is an expert. So we'll go with that. I, the eye poke, unbelievably effective strike. And, and John Jones mastered it. And he, he even brags about it, you know, which is a little kind of, kind of, kind of douchey, but whatever. But um, those techniques are, you know, there's, there's a technique, but then it's not a technique. And it's, it's a hodgepodge. I call mine a technique, or a, I call mine a system, Hawaiian Kempo. Uh, because it's a system of, it's a philosophy. Don't let anyone take your lunch money. Train hard, live clean, fight dirty. Um, don't, don't let you know. Don't don't uh, you know hit first. Always hit first. And so I have. We have in our system. We have philosophies. We have Ohana, which is family in Hawaiian, and we have a family group. Um, and we have we have traditions like bowing and putting a gi on and a belt. You know, belt uh, hierarchy. So we have a bunch of things in our system, but my techniques are rotating. There's no, you don't have to learn any technique to get to the next belt because you're going to learn about time you get to black belt. I just throw techniques at them all the time. A lot of times it's from what happened in the prior UFC that Saturday. You remember that? Now we're going to do that. I'll even show a little video of it. We're going to do this. And it's really cool. One of my fighters does it and they will say, oh, let's do that, you know? But so we do that the way I the way I promote my guys, since everybody's learning everything, they're just getting better at it when they get their higher belt. But to get each belt, they have to show me a number one attitude, number two attendance and number three is their a physical conditioning. So we have a physical test for each level that that's that's grading and it's 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 a hierarchy. So they're going they're climbing up the ladder. So the biggest difference in our tech, in our students that so you see a, a yellow belt and a brown belt, they're both learning the same, throwing the same techniques, but usually the brown belt is doing it a lot better and he's going to be in shape no matter what. I get some yellow belts in shape. They come in shape, but everybody has to be in shape by the time they're a brown belt because the, you know, the brown belt conditioning is, you know, the test is very hard. So I, I include all that stuff. My, te my, my techniques, they're kind of, they're kind of, um, um, fluid. That's a kind of buzzword in America right now, but I'm not, 
<laughs> it really is. Gender, you know, we're talking about fluid gender. So, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about fluid fighting system. It just goes in and out. All the techniques, we'll change it if, if it doesn't work. Like in one sparring session, if all of a sudden some, you know, it's like, it's like the antibiotics, right? MRSA learned how to, that, that organism learned how to beat all the, the antibiotics. When, when you do that, you have to get a stronger, better, stronger, better. So we do that with our techniques. So our techniques are fluid inside of our system, but our system is built upon my philosophy and my traditions and my family. So that's it. And I think this is kind of bringing into the next the next question I had lined up here. So you're you're always, and I've seen you advocate this about this before, John. Like a lot of people give you shit about not being a traditional martial artist, and your counter argument is, well. It's about the traditions you make, but I guess this bringing it back to Bruce Lee. Why do you think? And I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to ask Danielli this, and then think about this too, John. Why do you think that it seems that? And this might be a, a stereotype, but why do so many traditional martial artists, stylists, if you will, have so much hate for Bruce Lee? Not that all of them do, yeah. but the ones that I have seen that have a real lot of hate for him tend to be traditional stylist why do you think that is told them that they were dinosaurs and they did not take that as a compliment (laughs) so you know he said you are the slave to a single methodology when fighting is a fluid thing when fighting is a much more complex thing where the right answers are come from many different sources and they are constantly changing and instead you are stuck on this one dogma and you don't move from there I mean, there's an article that I think like for anybody who want to get uh, an intro into Bruce Lee's philosophy is the quickest, easiest read you can. It's like, there's the article he did for Black Belt Magazine way back when called uh, Liberate Yourself from, Ka- from Classical Karate. And it contains in just a few pages a lot of the essential elements of his philosophy. And man, he pulls no punches in his criticism of traditional martial arts. He's brutally harsh so of course a bunch of these guys are not going to take it very well um because that's kind of the way he not so gently poked them he said uh, sweet concept you guys have but at the end of the day you are slaves to an ideology rather than actually being individuals who can learn from many sources I can see how people would, uh, if they are very heavily invested, if their whole identity is wrapped up in this idea of their representative of that one style, they may not take it so well. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's so, that's so true. Like, um, I even jujitsu, I love jujitsu guys because I'm very close to them because our system, I have to know, Laborio. You know, Ricardo Laborio, one of the best jiu-jitsu guys, he formed ATT. He made it. And we're, we're like this. We're best friends. And I always, when we're training, you know, telling him how gay his art is and they spend so much time, you know, with each other and hugging each other and between each other's legs and this and that. And then he teases mine because, you know, oh, we'll break your arm. And we love each other, you know. So we can get away with that. But when I went to the Super Show, this the biggest – martial arts expo in the of the year every year is at the mgm in vegas and i did this thing on kata of course and i said the beginning of the speech i started talking about kata and i played some music i did you know a little bit of break dancing and then i and then i did a little bit of a kata and i said i love both of those things sure 
Here's some music pick just for oh. you on Apple. Oh my God. But I said, I love both those things. <laughs> oh, you said breakdancing. You said breakdancing. Yeah. Are you going to do some pop locking for us now, John? Or? <laughs> I could, but I'm not going to. But um, <laughs> okay. um, so, I, so I said, I love both these things. I could watch, I watch pop locking. I mean, if you go to, well, you can't watch my screen, but my screen, there is pop locking tabs up there because I'm my, I'm always watching it. Every day I'm watching self-defense, pop locking, knives, guns, and watches. But anyway, um, so I started talking about, I love both of these things, but neither one, they're both equally effective in real, in real world martial arts. I love pop locking. It has nothing to do with fighting. I love kata. I love to watch kata. It has nothing to do with fighting. Like half of the freaking... Half of my audience stood up and started walking out. It was it was pretty, it was pretty. It, and when I talk about katas and you know tradition traditionality, people don't like to admit that you're only as good your art, your system. You're only you're only as good as your traditions. So if you have bad traditions, your shit is bad. If you have good traditions, like Bruce Lee did. His shit is good. Like when we're training, we're doing good traditions, you know, good, good drilling, good techniques, you know, watching, studying real fights and stuff like that. And we're, we're not spending time. The cot, the, the geese I put on and we wear belts and stuff, you know, that might be a little traditional for some, but I like that tradition. I'm okay with it. The parents like it. Kids like it. You know, a lot of the adults like it, but it has nothing to do with fighting. Right. But it's a good tradition and it doesn't take away from my fighting. And one thing I think I have in common with Bruce Lee, which this is pretty presumptuous of me comparing myself to Bruce Lee. And I don't mean it in any kind of, uh, you know, I'm not nearly as great as he was in, in most ways, but I probably had a better left, have a better left hook. But anyway, um, but when we poke at these, like you made it, you made it perfect, Danelli. Um, it's perfect. They, when you poke at these karate guys or the jujitsu guys, you know, or kickboxing guys and, 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 you know, show a flaw in what they're doing and something else might be better. Like Bruce Lee did. Um, people don't like it. Then all of a sudden they turn on you. Even if they know they're wrong, they're going to turn on you because now they're, they're, there goes their identity. They're scared and they're weak now. And, and, what else do they have, you know? So then they come up with words like bunkai, right? Isn't that true? They come, do you know, Danielle, you know about bunkai? No, what's the deal? Okay, bunkai is, um, you know what a kata is, right? Sure. Okay, so kata is a bunch of pre-arranged movements. I love watching them. I used to like have fun in tournaments watching them. I couldn't do them very well. I was more the fighting guy, but... I used to, I even would question my instructor at like 10 years old and say, hey, chief, what does this have to do with real fighting? And he would honestly look at me in the eye and say, shut the fuck up and you do it until you get your black belt. Then you don't have to do them anymore. That's exactly what he would tell me. So I did that, you know, until I got my black belt. Um, but when, when you ask a traditional karate guy that thinks he's smart, like, well, what is this technique going to help? What, how's that going to help? What, how's that stance? How's this stance going to help? What's this going to do? And when you ask them that, 
They don't even try to get real anymore. They just say, oh, Bunkai. Bunkai is the physio, it's the, it's the philosophical, physiologic, say the word. The philosophical. Philosophical. (laughs) It's the philosophical transition. So you get the kata, which means nothing here. And then you get this really technique that's a street friendly. It had nothing to do with that kata. But then they say, well, that's the bunkai. This really means this. So they changed it into a real technique by using the word bunkai. So bunkai is just bullshit. It means nothing. And that technique, if you want to do this technique right here, do this technique right here. Don't do this. And then say, why'd you do that? You go, well, it really means this. So it's, it's really, so when I call people on it and say how bullshit it is, they go, oh, no, you know, no, back, uh, back in the feudal Japan days, yeah, they did that and that. And they had to hide it. They had to hide it because it was illegal. So they did this and this and this. And then they call it bukai. And then when they had to bring it out and really use it, it's so stupid. It doesn't even... It, it, it means nothing. And Bruce Lee had such a platform. I say this all the time, but my platform's like this. And when Bruce Lee said it, he's going to ruffle some feathers because a lot of people listen to him. So what, did, what was the question? <laughs> oh my God. If, if you can't tell the daily, we did a whole podcast just about Kata last time. It's still getting people riled up. But... I've been on like five <laughs> podcasts since then because of that one. Just asking about Kata. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't, uh, I can't even explain it. But it is. It, it it is tied though. It is really tied because Bruce Lee talked about that. Bruce Lee talked about Kata, and, and that was one of the first things. Like when I first got into martial arts, I just like many people. I didn't have access to martial arts, so I picked up the book that you just showed us. The is it Daniele? Is it the Tao of Jikundo? Dao. 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 In Chinese is uh, pronouncing, uh, depending on who you ask, you guys likely differ. It's technically Dao, which some people, when you say it, will they did he say Tao with a T? Yeah. Did he, with a D? But you know, it's Dao, but it's Chinese yeah. pronunciation is talk about a difficult language, man. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. can you imagine like me pronouncing English the way I do? If I had to deal with a tonal language where if you put the accent in the wrong place, it means a completely different word. Oh no! When I was visiting it's, China, is it like Chinese. Yeah. yeah. So like when I was visiting Chinese. China, I would see the train station names, and it would show you the word in English, and it was like C H A X Y Z. I O, and I'm like I can't. And then when they when they'd say it, like I, I, that is that doesn't even phonetically look sound anything like what was written. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> but yeah, when, when I picked up that book, um, it's what kind of started my martial arts journey, which I think kind of fucked things up because whenever I'd walk into a place, if I saw kata, if I saw any of the things like the red flags as I saw in the book, I would walk out, and like I'd come in for their week trial lesson and. I want I'd immediately be like, oh, can we, can I spar? And if they said, oh, you can't spar until three months later, I'd walk out. And um, the Kaju Kembo school was the first place I walked into where they were like, oh, you want to spar? Um, come in on Friday and, you, you know, you just come in and spar. We have fight nights and you can try it out. And that was the first place I walked into that. that what time. year? What year was that? It was uh, 2000, 2001, well, that was, 2000. Because right. back in Honolulu, Hawaii, being a white kid, the only white kid in the class, 
I didn't get to, I didn't ask when sparring was or when I got to any of that. I just got my ass whooped like the <laughs> second day there. And then that continued until, until probably 76. Oh, I did like, get my ass kicked. <laughs> that, that's another reason I stuck around. <laughs> they're good. Kaiser Campbell guys are pretty, they're pretty brutal. That was, uh, I love my, I love being from a lineage of, I say I'm not crazy about Ji Kwon Do, you know, his style. And just because, I don't know, I, I think because it's so Hollywooded out, you know, so I just don't, and I know it's Bruce Lee style. So I love Bruce Lee, always have. Um, but I just didn't like the Jeet Kwon Do. And my, the guys were, a lot of the Jeet Kwon Do guys were like showboaters and they were like big leaguers. And they were like, I don't know, they, they it wasn't, it seemed like a whole different class of people. But it was, it was probably just regular people, you know. And then Kaju Kempo guys were always, rah, rah, rah. and then, you know, Shotokan guys were always like, you know, traditional Kung Fu guys where everybody had their, kind of their own thing. Um, and it was, uh, it was just, uh, you know, it was just a weird, it was a weird, uh, um, the way that everything was just so different, but it was all the same. And you, you just got to, you couldn't, um, heaven forbid you, you, you uh, did, you know, put someone's style in check. And, and I, I think Bruce Lee was such a big guy. He could do it. But you know who the number two, to me, my second favorite pioneer of martial arts of all times is uh, Hoist Gracie. Because I feel like he's the first one and a big, he wasn't the first one, but he was the first one in a huge uh, platform that said, I'll take on all comers. And nobody else had the balls to do that. He said, you know, the, the, the rules back then were leaning towards them. And they're the ones that promoted the show, you know. So they did lean him towards them. But still, at 170, he had a 265-pound guy swinging at his head. I mean, he was still fucking brave as shit. And he put everything on the line to say, my style is the best. And it was for quite a while. And then a, a quick question, um, going back to what you said earlier about the styles in Jeet Kune Do. So for those of you listening... Um, Bruce Lee did end up writing down all his philosophies in the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, and he had this quote-unquote style without style that he ended up calling Jeet Kune Do. Yeah. Daniele, what do you think about that? Uh, I know there was some writings and there's been some like some things even in his book that he talked about how he didn't want it to be a style. What is How can there be a style called Jeet Kune Do if the philosophy in itself said there was no style? I mean, it's kind of a paradox, right? But you can see both sides of the story. On one end, there's the obvious one, which is what you said, and I agree 100%. That to me is the, the dominant answer there, which is it's not a style. It's a philosophical principle. It's an idea of constant research. You know, is this four-step methodology of, you know, research your own experience, the whole idea of absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what's specifically your own. That's a philosophy. That's a scientific method in a way. It's a process that's constantly evolving and his own style was constantly evolving. The way he practiced martial arts in 1965 was very different than 1970. It was very different by the time he died in the span of a few years. So on one end, it's a philosophical principle. So how can you say it's a style? Well, still, he did come to some conclusions that change over time 
But there was a Bruce Lee style, if you want to go by it, in 1970. There was a way he moved techniques he privileged, things he did in 1968. There were other... So the idea that you can just say, well, anything is JKD, is like on a philosophical level, maybe. But on a, if you want to be a little more literal, there was stuff that he was actually training in a certain way and other things that he wasn't. Now, it may have changed. So I think it's silly to argue this stuff should be set in stone, where the very principle behind Bruce Lee is that nothing should be set in stone and should be a process of evolution. But if you are saying... Uh, I am training the way Bruce Lee did. Well, no, those are specific techniques. There were things he did, you know, there were things that are, so it's both, you know, I tend to say 80 to 90% is the more philosophical aspect is the important one. But at the same time, if you want to get technical, what are the things he actually used? And again, they change over time, but there were things he actually used and others not so much. Yeah. And, and you're that's, a big, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. And you were mentioning Jeet Kune Do guys, thing. John, right? Like, so Jeet Kune Do guys. So who, I guess, because I, I, don't, I don't know enough about it. Maybe Danielli does. Who is, obviously, Bruce Lee's gone. Who did he leave in charge of his organization? Like, there's a, the one guy. There's the one guy that's always at the shows. Uh, Asano, in Asano or something? Yeah, so there's is Danny for sure, and he's more of the kind of JKD concept, which is why he brought together a lot more Filipino martial arts into it. He brought a lot of things that were really not part of Bruce Lee curriculum way back in the day. Uh, there were also the guys who are much less known, but they were his close buddies that he worked with. Like people like Taki Kimura up in Seattle was uh, one of his guys and taught a little more the way he trained back when Bruce Lee was alive. So there are a few of these guys who are, um, you know, each one has its own thing. And, you know, when you look at them, they are sometimes very different philosophically. They are very different in the way they move. But you can also see some little things that I'm like, okay, there's a common origin there. And how has your, been in, how's your interaction been with these guys, John? Have you bumped into Jeet Kune Do guys in your, in what you do? Yeah, I always do. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any interaction with them. I, I've never like, uh, you know, I'll meet, meet them, I'll talk to them. And they always seem like they're a certain kind. Not, not a bad thing at all. Just like, they're like the trendy Hollywood guys, a lot of them. And, uh, and, and they, a lot of them are uh, the sticks. They're always doing the, the scream of sticks and, you know, the heavy with knives and stuff. And so, I mean, it, it is, it definitely seems like uh, it's a style. Um, it seems like he has a system in place. Seems like there's techniques. They're doing a lot of things that you could tell as you know that that they're doing. But uh, I don't know. It seems like a, it seems like a non-traditional, like kind of like our school. I mean, it's a lot like our system, except we wear the gi, um, and it's a you know it's a we're traditionally non-traditional, and that's a, you know like I tell everybody, we're a very traditional school. I mean. You know, we do Christmas parties and we do kids uh, Easter egg hunt contests. We have tournaments, you know, um, you know, a lot of we have belt ceremonies every three months. Um, so we're very traditional in that way. But, you know, it's always going to be like I'll never I mean, when I'm throwing a hook, you know, if I'm testing on a hook, everybody that's doing the hooks going to throw it different. So when people say, well, how should, what should I do? I go throw it so you can get the most power. And that's the right way. That's the best way for you to do it. 
And it's going to be different from that guy and different from everyone else. So the techniques are fluid. There are certain techniques. And like Bruce Lee, like you were asking, how can he have uh, a system, right? He called it Jeet Kune Do. I don't know that much about Jeet Kune Do, but for me, I have Hawaiian Kempo and I have his philosophy. A lot of things that I do at my gym come off of uh, his philosophies. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a style of philosophies and of traditions and of systems. Like we have a system of the belts and we have a system of attendance. And then we have a system every, you know, every three months we have a belt ceremony. And then we have two weeks of the, so our inside of our Hawaiian Kempo, it's a martial arts school, but the only thing that really, ch everything changes, but our techniques change, you know, you know they change. If, if I see something better, I'm going to throw, I'm going to bring things in. If somebody's getting caught with a, you know, like a, like a double leg. Now, right now it's changed now. So you have to attack for, for a double leg takedown from an angle because I saw too many of my guys getting uppercut at a knee in fights and in sparring. So one of the lucky things I have, I'm blessed to have, is I get to see what I'm teaching my guys in the big screen on TV. You know what I mean? So I'm like, shit, that works, man. And then if they get caught with something, they go, oh, we're taking that out. From now on, you got to do this before you do that. You know, so the system, I think, like Danielle was talking about, tech. how can you have techniques? You said that. And he, you know, he was explaining that, you know, it, we can have a system because it's, uh, it's our, it's, it's, it's full of philosophies and styles of training, ways of training, degrees of toughness, you know, stuff like that, as opposed to just the techniques. They're fluid. They'll come and go. All of them will, you know, but so I, I guess that's, that's part of it. I think this really goes back to what I, we started this conversation with. Like I was seeing, I got into an argument with this uh, traditional, I think he was doing a Kata video for his profile and he had a white gi on and he had a big argument with me on your, on your thread about Bruce Lee's influence. And I was just talking, I was mostly not talking about his style. I was talking about his influence, right? Right now you're a UFC coach and you're talking about how Bruce Lee influenced what you're doing at your school where you know, arguably you never met Bruce Lee, but it's, he still influenced his philosophies, influenced how you run your program. And, and, that, and how I train my fighters, how I train my fighters. Yeah. And that's not unique. Yeah, like you can, you can no. go online and, and the, I am Bruce Lee documentary. It was just like one martial artist after other martial artists, after other champion, after this champion, that champion, all of them just mentioning how Bruce Lee influenced them before they even started doing martial arts. They picked up like me, I picked up a book. I didn't know what I was doing. And next thing you know, it led me down my path. And my story isn't unique to all these other martial artists. So, like, if you look at the impact, it to me, it's uh, it's unarguable. Like, it, he definitely had a huge impact on all of, on on everyone in the field now and look, back then. Look how the UFC loves him. Look how the UFC has his branded T-shirts. Mm -hmm. You seen those, right? I got one. Yeah, it's the UFC branded him. They love him. Yeah, like with his, I think it was his, I went to UFC once. It might've been his, the day, the, his birth date or his, you know, the day he died or something. They did a whole thing at the UFC, you know, 30,000 people in the audience. They did a thing, Bruce Lee. 
his daughter comes there, they treat her like royalty. You know, so the, the majority of UFC fighters, including the head of the UFC, Dana White, all of them love Bruce Lee and what, you know, his, what his style was, you know, and, and it's grown since then. And, and I, think, I think that says a lot. I think the main people that don't like Bruce Lee um, and, and his philosophies of, of training are very insecure guys. They can't, they can't do anything but the kata. So they're going to they're gonna hold on to that tradition and never and say, I have to hold on to, we've had it since feudal Japan. And this is, this is it. Bunkai, shut up, it's Bunkai. <laughs> They've actually, no, Bunkai. And they get all weird. And their eyes get wide. And I don't want to insult these guys. I like traditional <laughs> karate guys. But when they start doing that, it just, it makes me angry. Because you know why it makes me angry? It makes me angry because there's teaching kids and adults these techniques that are never going to work. And they're, just, they're spending a majority of their time teaching those. They, they got to learn these things to get their next belt. It's all choreographed, memorization. But it, they're taken away from the real stuff that's going to defend their life. And then all of a sudden they get jumped in the street and they do something like this. Next thing you know, they're waking up in a nursing home with a tracheostomy six months later because it didn't work. It didn't work. So to me, it's, it's, it's dangerous and, and it's going to hurt. It's going to get people hurt. And that's what bothers me the most about this. Right. So then when people bring up like Stephen, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, right. Or Leona Machida, all right? Two UFC champions. Um, um, Steve Wonderboy hasn't actually won a champion, but he's a champion in my eyes. Um, and they're karate guys, traditional karate. I think both Japanese styles. I'm not 100% about Steven. But anyway, they still talk about kata because they're still working at their dojo. So people tell me, well, how they do kata. How do you think they got there? I go, because both of them, their dad owns the gym and always has, right? So they, they don't just have an hour or 45 minutes twice a week to try to learn as much stuff as they can to defend, to stay safe in the street or for kids to get not bullied, right? Twice a week, 45 minutes each. These guys, Leona Mashida and Steve Wonderboard Thompson, they spend probably eight hours a day at the gym with their dad. So they, 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 they had a lot of time, extra time to do katas. But for those people that don't, it should be, it prioritized like farther than the bottom, like below the bottom. Where, where are you from, uh, Daniel? What language do you speak? I grew up in Italy. Okay, so Italy, what would mean like below the, the, the that'd be hell, wouldn't it? That'd be hell. Pretty much, so, right? <laughs> it's just, you got no it should be prioritized so low yeah. then, but then for someone like Steve Wonderboard Thompson, he's spending eight, nine hours at the gym every day since he's a kid, he can do kata and then spend another five hours on his techniques. Same mm -hmm. with Leota. So people like that. Yeah. Do your kata, do your upgrades. If you got them, sell it as an upgrade, but please don't tell people this is going to protect them in the street because it's not, and they're going to they're gonna trust you, the instructor. They're going to trust you. They're going to trust their kids with you. 
Now your kid's getting his ass whooped on the schoolyard because he did a funny move and the guy beat the shit out of him. Now he's going to be bullied for the rest of his life. He's going to be bullied by his wife when he gets married. He's going to turn into a beta male. And that's the worst thing you can do to someone. Turn them into a beta. That, 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 was, that, was, a, that was a large jump, but I can see where you're Sorry. going with Sorry. this. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Oh, man, I'm in so much trouble. I'm in the doghouse tonight. So, but anyway. Getting back to Bruce Lee. Danielle, um, a lot of people online, especially Win Chun guys, uh, talk about master i've seen these i've seen this on wind chun pages so i'm not just making this shit up master talk about master wong no 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 they say master bruce lee blah 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 and um sorry to sound negative i say blah 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 but they'll say some quote and then they'll give all this credit to wind chun for what bruce lee did what is what do you think about that daniele and how is the relationship between bruce lee and wind chun well i mean bruce lee had roughly about four maybe five years of studying under a wind chun teacher and then after that, he came to U.S. and was on his own. And he was training what he was taught. And then he started meeting people who somebody was a boxer and somebody was a wrestler and somebody was something else. And so he started modifying his Winchon as time went by. And eventually he kept some stuff from Winchon because that's his base. That's what he started from. But, you know, it was just a launching pot. It wasn't, you know, Bruce Lee was not, may have started as a Winchon guy, was not by the end a Winchon guy. He was. Uh, he had obviously an influence from Wing Chun because that's what you start with. That's kind of your imprint into martial arts. But that's about it, you know. Then he became something else. Yeah, I think. I think the. I think it's a huge. Uh, I think it's a huge influence on, and you just like, I'm Kazukempo. Mm-hmm. That's my influence, and I love Kazukempo's in my heart. Kazukempo's everything. But I do nothing Kajakempo, but it's still, it was still my core. And I think with Bruce Lee, it was his core, but he became, you know, such a different, like, I don't do any Kajakempo stuff anymore. But Bruce Lee, I think is, it'll always be his core. And I think uh, his instructors should get a lot of credit for developing such a, such a great martial artist. And his, so if he, you know, MMA guys, they don't stick with jujitsu anymore. They're, you know, they're not considered, that's one of their things, but there's so much more now. So that's why I think about Bruce Lee. He's he's a Wing Chun, uh, he has this foundation and core there. So I think that shaped him a lot. He probably would never be the great martial artist he was today if it wasn't there, because that's part of the puzzle. That's one of the main pieces of that puzzle. Like Kaju Kempo is for me, or karate is for Leona Machida, you know, or stuff like that. So I don't know. So I think that that system, um, I think like Danielle said, I think the main part of a system, I think there's two parts. I think it's traditions, right? Traditions and, and the systems and the systems in, you know, are the tenants, the philosophies, you know, the, the habits, you know, the, you know, and the, you know, just the, the, the things that they do in the gym. And I think that's, that's a huge part of what you're going to turn into. Like, I'd never be here right now without Kajakembo. You know, so that's why I think it's a huge thing. But I think if it's the only thing, then you're doing a huge disservice, almost a crime to your students because you're teaching them things that won't work. And that's, that's one of the worst things you could do. It'd be like, 
go to school and the teacher teaches you, you know, I go to Japan and they teach me, fuck you, fuck you, all these words. But it, I think they're telling me it's like, say hi. And it's, it's these other things. So I go out in the real world and I'm, you know, so that's the same thing with a martial art. They're teaching these things that are just so useless, but they're saying they're useless. I mean, they're useful and people are getting hurt. I've seen guys get hurt back in Hawaii. There's a lot of scraps in Hawaii. Hawaii is a rough state, especially, you know, where I grew up on, on Oahu and people can fight there. When I've seen so many, this alone, this, I, I can't count, but I think there's over could be 400 people I knocked out sparring because they brought their hand was here, here. They chamber it here and they, I can knock him out every time. Nobody can bring their hand from here up to here before you can hit him with a left hook. They just can't. It's, it's physically impossible unless the guy's like 90 and you're, you know, whatever, but it just can't be done. So you have no defense. You're going to get killed in the street. A guy swings one punch you can't block it from here. It'll never work. Never, never, never. So you're teaching them something that is not only stupid as shit, but it's also dangerous. And you're taking their money. They're getting going to get killed. They're going to get hit in front of their wife. She's never going to have sex with them the same again. Because he went like this, and the guy beat him up. And then she goes, whoa, whoa, honey, you said you could fight. Let me just say a funny story. Let me tell you a funny story. Don't I get yourself beat. in trouble, John. Don't get yourself in trouble. I got, no, I got, I got beat in a fight. I was on TV. I, I, was, I had a fight. On, I was on TV, and I lost. And, um, you know, I, I thought I was the big shot. I was, in, I was number one in the world. And, you know, I was come from Hawaii. And I, so I was like the big shot guy, I thought, anyway. But anyways, <laughs> I lose this fight. My aunt, my aunt Vera, she's dead now, but she was like, you know, very round lady. She was, she's, she's a retired pharmacist, her and her husband uh, in Indiana, in, you know, in Indianapolis. And so I get a call that night. I'm already distraught. I lost the fight. It's on TV. Everybody saw it, you know. So my aunt calls me. She goes, hey, saw your fight today. Oh, I thought, I thought you were supposed to be good. My aunt. So anyway, imagine if that happens to you in front of your wife. That's even worse. It'll, things in the bedroom will never be the same again. So keep your hand not here. Your hand should be here. Never here. Anyway, sorry. I, I digress. What, what were we talking about? Bruce Lee? Uh, I, I don't know. I, and Bruce Lee I, I knew have, that. I have notes. I like how you tied it back. Bruce Lee knew that. I like how you tied it back to Bruce Lee. Thank you. That makes my job easier. I love Bruce Lee. Did you guys, have you guys seen the uh, Bruce Lee shirt? I mean, I wear it all the time. And I got it at the UFC because when I go to the UFC, one of my fighters, they, they give everybody all the camp. They give them. They give us pants, shirts, shoes, and we have to wear them. And we get these uh, Bruce Lee shirts, and they're really cool. Sweet. So anyway. So before we wrap things up, I have uh, I have Sorry. five minutes on my time here. Who do you think compares to Bruce Lee today as far as influencing and pushing modern martial arts forward? I know you mentioned Helio Gracie, but I'm thinking more like this Hoist. generation. Hoist. 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 Sorry. Hoist Gracie. Who would you say now, like in the last, I don't know, 10 years, I guess, not even 10 years, who would you say is a modern martial artist 
who's kind of doing something similar to that? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, um, yeah, that's not a good hoist. I would say hoist, but he never really evolved. That's why he didn't go as far as he could have. He showed so much balls, so much heart, so much, but then he didn't really evolve. So he didn't really uh, learn. It's, it's, I mean, that's a hard one. Okay. I'll tell you one uh, who seems to be doing really good is uh, Tiger Schumann. You know, who that is. I've heard of Tiger Schumann. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, I don't know him at all, but he's the only other guy like me that has a traditional school, but he also has uh, you know, world-class MMA fighters fighting in the UFC. And I get, from what I hear, his school is phenomenal. He has like kids program and it's like a full on traditional martial arts school with geese and kids parties and peewees and stuff like that. But he's, he does both. So He's the only guy I can think of really right now that does it because most people, to be honest, like we do everything in-house, including our fitness. Um, but most places, they contract out everything. Like they'll have the jiu-jitsu coach, the kickboxing coach, the wrestling coach, the, the, you know, the, the fitness coach. And they kind of go around and do different kind of things where you know some of the better schools that are better now, everything is kind of combined into one. But it's still not there yet. Not even, not even close. Like ATT, I think is really good. But I think they have a jujitsu guy, striking guy. You know, so they kind of, and I don't like that because it, 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 you know, it's not seamless as much. So like they all kind of revolve around each other. So the only one I can think of is that time Tiger Schumann guy. What What do you think, Daniele? Um, and it doesn't have to be one name. It can be a few different names. No, I don't think there is a name in the sense that to me. Guy like Bruce Lee's like arrives at the right time, uh, hits a very revolutionary note, change things around. Don't oh, yeah. things don't happen all the time, you know. The way I see it is it happened uh, late eighteen hundreds with Jigoro Kano in judo. It happened with Bruce Lee. It happened with the Gracie and the start of MMA. Masayama. Yeah, you, you know, you have these figures who pop up and uh, do something radical, but, you know, and it's not because somebody is not a great martial artist or they are not brilliant or they are not, but it's not necessarily innovative. You know, it's like where we're at in terms of MMA is changing, but philosophically nothing has changed in the last whatever many years. You know, it's like you change techniques, you change a little bit, like somebody has a better idea of how to clean up that process. But right now, it's not like there's a new thing going. There's not, there's not a new thing going on all the time. With Bruce Lee, it was a new thing. It was a departure from the way things were done. With uh, When MMA started with the Gracies and everything forward, it was a big departure from the way things were done. Now, I think, you know, there will be, inevitably, there will be something that happens that will be a big departure. It's not right now. Yeah, no, but you're right. I don't think there's anybody... I mean, I, I never thought of it like that. I don't think it's anybody, even today, you know, I don't think it's anybody as, as fluid, martial arts-wise, as Bruce Lee. I, I, I don't think there ever has been. I, he's the visionary, you know, and I think, you know, the way that uh, Hoist Gracie challenged everybody, I love that. But he never evolved. He's a jiu-jitsu guy that knows how to throw a kick, you know. Um but I don't. I I think Bruce Lee's to this day, 2021. I don't think anybody's ever been as 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 forward thinking as he is. I just don't. I can't even 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 with the UFC the where it is and so many great UFC fighters, even guys that 
go in there doing a little of everything. Um, I just, I think Bruce Lee's still, still way ahead of his time, a visionary, yeah. Yeah, and there's a theme that you touched on earlier that I think is the key of why it's such a big deal. And more than just even about martial arts, about life, that like when you said, you know, why do these guys, you know, the Kata guy, who's, that's all he has, when he's shown that that doesn't work, he's still going to cling to it. And it's an ego thing. It's an identity. He built his whole thing around it. Now, the logical answer would be that if somebody show you that there's a better way to do things. You say, thank you, you drop your old way and you learn the new way because it works. Because ultimately your duty is to, be, is to be truthful to what works, to what seems to deliver results. And instead, but I think, and this is one of the things that Bruce Lee nailed in his philosophy is the fact that people get attached to these things because it gives them identity, give them a sense of meaning for their life. It gives them a sense of belonging. It gives them a sense of all these things that people badly crave. It's the same reason why people join cults or they join, you know, it's that idea of membership in this larger group. But unfortunately, membership in a group is kind of built on dogma because you need to have, we wear our colors, we have our slogans, we have our beliefs, we have all that stuff. And Bruce Lee is saying, that's great if you are fearful and you are stuck on, uh, I need something to give meaning to my life. But his thing is like, well, when you stop being fearful, you can actually just look at life for what it is rather than through this filter that you are constantly trying to whether it works or not, because sometimes it works, you know, like broken clock kind of thing. Sometimes those dogmas work. Most of the time don't because they are not flexible enough. And this thing was like, well, how about eventually we learn not to be so fearful and we deal with life in a more, we respond to a new problem with a solution that may be based on the past or it may be completely new, but we are kind of reinventing it as we go along all the time based on the feedback that reality gives us rather than being these dogmatic slaves who repeat the same thing over and over because we're afraid to let go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, to be honest, I think they are letting go now, um, except for the, you know, the ones that aren't. But, but they're still, because they all want to be the MMA guy. They think MMA is a real martial art. It's not a martial art, it's a sport. But, um, but so people are learning that they do, realizing because I realized it firsthand, I got taken down because I was, you know, I was fighting all the time and people were taking me down. I was like, I gotta stop that. So I started learning takedown defense and then it went from there. But a lot of places don't actually test their stuff like I did. So they never think they have to do a takedown defense because they think that's it right there. That's the takedown defense. Punch them in the face and they'll know, you know. So, it, I mean, so a lot of people still aren't doing that. But then a lot of guys are into MMA, but they're not like true martial artists. A lot of them are on the keyboard and they're wearing a tap out shirt and they're thinking, you know, they think they're a guy. Then the true MMA fighters, um, then there's them. And they're martial artists to me just because of their warrior spirit. But a lot of them aren't, they don't want to get a belt. They don't care about this. They don't care about teaching. They don't care about a dojo or anything. They just want to fight. They love to fight. So they learn MMA and it's a sport. Our, our, gen, our, our system isn't MMA. In fact, everybody wants to use the word MMA because they think it'll bring in more students, but it's not even a martial art, it's a sport. So, you know, so I think people don't want to, uh, you got your traditional karate guys here 
and they're going to stay with this all the way to the grave. Okay. Then you got the MMA guys that are just thinking, think that that's the real, that's it. That's the end all. And, and cr- traditional karate sucks because, you know, because, you know, they're, you know, that's, that's their thing is MMA and they're the, 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 the keyboard guys. But the real MMA fighters, I think, are true martial artists just because they're such warriors, but they're not interested in coming back and teaching. Most aren't going to come back and teach a system. So that that's why it's not growing the way it's growing. Like I think like that, uh, you know, Tiger Schumann's gym, I think his students are coming like that. Mine definitely are. They're growing like that. But most karate schools aren't going to be like that. And most MMA gyms are just gyms where a bunch of guys are beating each other up and they're not teaching the, the tenets of the philosophies and the, the respect and the honor and the dignity, you know, and stuff like that. So it's not getting out the way it should. I think, you know, I think you got the traditional guys here. They suck when it comes to fighting, but they have great integrity and great uh, humility. Then you got the guys that don't know anything over here. They're just keyboard warriors. And then you got the MMA guys and they're teaching MMA. So they have the great skills and very few of them are, are braggadocious or anything. They're very humble and stuff, but they don't teach that and they don't teach kids. So it's we're the martial artists that teach the kids. That's what's getting our future. So I think with like Bruce Lee's philosophies and, 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 and way he, taught and learned i think that's the key but i think you have to package it in a system where you're teaching the respect and the honor and then have your own culture and your own uh traditions to go along with it right as long as you're true to yourself and true to your students that's definitely what made bruce lee so amazing right that that, that, that's what that's I mean, that's what I take away from. I, I know whoever is listening to this, I kind of pose it as a debate, but I already kind of had my preconceived notions. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything you guys want to promote? I know you have your fight coming up, right, John? Yeah, we have Glover fighting uh, Jan Berkowitz for the uh, I was butcher's name, but for the uh, UFC light heavyweight title. That'll be October. That's 30th. in September. October thirtieth. Now okay. they moved it for the third time, and that's going to oh, be okay. in in uh, Dubai. So we're going to have to travel far. But, yeah, so he's doing that. And then I got a bunch of my amateur fighters fighting till then. And then I got my online online dojo, the Pit Online Dojo. All right. And you see the logo right there. And for those listening, the Pit Online Dojo, Google it. Uh, Daniele, anything coming up? Any projects? All good. I mean, I guess since we're talking Bruce Lee, I did a couple of episodes that are free everywhere. Sort of is a bio of Bruce Lee, where it's, uh, I think it's like three, four hours. Probably it's a little over four hours. I think it's broken down into episodes and kind of takes through from his life, his philosophy. Is that Facebook? It's on, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can get it pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't think they have it on Spotify, but most podcast servers, they have it. You know, because some of my episodes are behind a paywall. This one isn't. You know, the Bruce Lee series is free, so you can find it on, you know, most podcast provider. If you type History on Fire, which is my podcast, the two most recent free ones are are the Bruce Lee biography. All right. So History on Fire podcast. Yeah, you can Google it. And um, he does a great job breaking it down. I really enjoyed it. All right, everyone. Thanks for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. And I'll catch you all next time. Peace.